Amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. We're going to begin in, in Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse number 5. Romans 5, verse 5. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, one of the things that this message is into is talking about how and why we can have hope, why we have peace with God and we have patience and we have hope. But the reason that we do have the things that God has given us is because God has shed abroad his love in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. You see, whenever, the, whenever a believer receives the Holy Spirit of God, they receive a deposit of God's love on the inside. You may, you may get into those situations where you get around folks that are unlovable. You may get into situations where you're just in a, a place where you just want to be cranky. But if you're a believer of God, you have the capacity to love that person because the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts. Not by work of your own, but by the Holy Spirit. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to love the unlovable. If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability, not of your own strength, not of your own accord, much like God said. It's not by might and it's not by strength, but it's by his what? It's by his spirit, says the Lord. And if you will walk in the spirit, right? Didn't Paul tell us in Galatians, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. That means if you're alive unto God, live unto God. If God's got you, let him have you. Come on now. And one of the things he's saying is, if you've got the Holy Spirit, then you have the ability to love the unlovable, not of your own accord, but when you're operating in his spirit. When you're operating in his spirit. When, when you take time to pray and say, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know where, and I don't know what to do in this situation, but Lord, I'm relying on you. I'm relying on you. Now, one of the things I want you to see is this love. This love is not available for the unbeliever because it is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. You see, the world's love and God's love are vastly different. God's love is not circumstantial. The world's love is nothing but circumstantial. When somebody that is not saved loves someone, they love to a point. God's love knows no height and it knows no depth it knows no width there is nowhere god's love won't go to rescue a soul god's love will cross generational boundaries god's love will cross denominational boundaries god's love will cross racial boundaries god's love will go to the other side of the train tracks to minister to somebody god's love will we'll touch someone who is unlovable. How do we know? Because we at one time were unlovable toward God. How do we know? Because there were times in our lives when we, the furthest thing from our mind was being right with God. But yet God still loved us. 
And if you think about that in a worldly term, there's times that in the world somebody may love someone that doesn't love them back, and it's going to wear them out eventually. Come on now. But God don't wear out. God don't wear out. His love is inexhaustible. His love is inexhaustible. So whenever you're talking about this, um, we're, we're looking at love. Whenever you're talking about it, from the world's perspective, there's always a limit. There, there's always this, I've had it up to here with you. I, that's the last time I cook a meal and you don't eat it. That's the last time that I wait on you and you never come. That's the last, see, the world's love is like that. And every single person has their own quirks. Every single person has their own things that rub them the wrong way. I texted you and you took five minutes to text me back. Some people get all out of sorts about stuff like that. But I want you to see that is circumstantial love. That is circumstantial love. That's not God's love in you. That's the world's love. The world's love is always situational, circumstantial, and it always will be. It's always based on what you can do for me. It's always based on what you can give me back. God's love is not based on what you can give back. God loves, listen, God loves those that don't love him back. The Bible says just a few verses later that God commends his love toward us. This is verse 8. In that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet ungodly, while we were yet without God in our thought, while we were yet abhorrent to him, Christ died for us. You see, God's love for us was displayed while we were in opposition to him, while we were walking the complete wrong direction, doing the exact wrong thing, God showed his love toward us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God's love, it is inexhaustible. It is higher and deeper than anything that we know about. And one of the things I want you to see is that it's the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. A lot of times, some people will, will find that they quit loving somebody or they want to because they've gotten offended. Offense will rob you Offense will rob you from the Spirit of God in you, from the power of the Spirit in you. When you, be, when you begin to get offended about an issue, when you begin to get offended about something, then you're operating in the flesh. See, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that the flesh and the Spirit are at war with one another. They're at enmity with one another. And the sad reality is, even in churches, some people are operating in the flesh, and some people are operating in the Spirit. And the way that you can tell is when folks get offended. That's the last time you look at me like that. That's the last time you pass over me to be on a committee. <laughs> That's the last time. Well, what is it about it? It's offense. And the Lord tells us not to be offended. You know, that's what he told us in the book of Luke. Offenses come. And he said, woe to those that come. Woe to those that they come through. But offenses are going to come, but you better watch out that you don't offend someone and cause them to stumble because the Lord said it would be better for you that a millstone were tied around your neck and you were cast in the sea. You know, if that happens, there's no coming back up. There's no swimming. It's what they call swimming with the sharks. 
And one of the things is, is if you offend someone and cause them to stumble, you've hurt the Lord because he protects. He's a defender. And when you offend, you become an offender. And God is a protector. So before we get all out of sorts about who didn't do this and why didn't they ask me to do, before we get all out of sorts about stuff, we need to take a step back and see whether we're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. Because when we lash out in the flesh, we could offend the one who God is defending. And then we set ourselves up for a millstone. Far too, many, far too many people, especially in our day and age, get offended about stuff. I saw a little uh, thing. They said, uh, Dad, what's the magical? You know, the dad told the son, you know, whenever you want something, what's the magic word? And to get whatever you want. And the son said, I'm offended. Because that's the generation we live in. If you say you're offended, you get whatever you wanted. You walk in a restaurant and say you're offended about something, everybody thinks, oh, we're going to get lawsuit, we're going to get news cameras. Give them whatever they want. But you see, whenever you offend somebody according to God, you have set yourself up as the offender. And always remember, God is the defender. He's the defender of the weak. He's the defender of the downtrodden. He's the defender of the outcasts and those that are down. He's the defender of the broken. Lest we get on the wrong side of the fence, we need to watch how we operate towards one another. This is why the Bible tells us over and over and over to love one another. One of the greatest commandments that we see in the epistles, which is in the New Testament, is to love one another. Love one another. Cherish one another. Pray for one another. Love the brethren. Love the brotherhood. Love. What is it about love? Because when you're loving, you're acting as God does. You're, you are emulating your God when you're allowing his love to flow through you. You are, you are an instrument that God can use to reach others. It's when you do those acts of kindness. Didn't the Lord say, if you even give a cup of water to one of his disciples, if you just give a cup of water, great would be your reward. And so I want you to see that this love that God has called us to is not possible through our flesh. It's not possible through our flesh. If you try to love in your flesh, you're going to have a, you're going to hit the limit somewhere. If you try to love in the flesh, you're going to say, but that's the 10th time I've done it for you. How many of you know God doesn't do you like that? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that his mercies are new every other morning? Oh, yeah, every morning. He doesn't get tired of you, does he? His mercy for you is new every morning. And when you're walking in the spirit, you give new mercy to others every morning as well. Well, I can't do that. Walk in the spirit and you can. I know we can't do it on our own. I know we don't have the capacity. I know each of us have short fuses. I know. Each of us are impatient. Each of us have our limits. But in the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit's working through you, you can love the unlovable. You can. You can do it. Now, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter number 12 real quick. 
let me show you something over here. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 30. The Lord was asked, which is the first commandment of all? And whenever he was asked, which is the first commandment of all? They don't mean which one is the first of the 10 or which one was the first of the 613 or 617, however you want to count them. When, when he was asked, what is the first? It meant, what's the greatest? What's the greatest? The greatest commandment, according to the Lord, says in verse number 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And we think, great, it's me and Jesus. And look what he says. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. What is that? God's telling you to love him with all that you got and to also love your neighbor likewise. How is this possible? What if your neighbor, what if your neighbor is not nice? Did he qualify that statement? Did he say love your neighbor that's, that's you know, love your good neighbor? He didn't say love your neighbor that smells good. He didn't say love your neighbor that's like you. He didn't say love your neighbor that's this way or that way. It's just love your neighbor. And then he was asked later, you know, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Basically, it's whoever's in front of you. It's whoever's in front of you. That's who God has called you to love. And we, we need to understand that we are the body of Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now as we speak. He is in glory right now, and we are the bride, the body of Christ. And he uses us to continue ministering to others. And it's in that way because somebody at some time shared the gospel with you. Somebody at some time prayed for you. Somebody at some time told you God could love an unlovable folk like you. Somebody crossed that barrier and shared with you God's love for you. And that's the same thing God has called us to do. God has called us to not just receive that torch and say, oh, well, God loves me and hold it. God has called us to also take it and give it to others. God is, whatever God has given us, God is calling us to share with others. No matter where they're from, no matter what they look like or talk like, no matter the country they come from, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their social or economic background, no matter if they're wealthy, no matter if they're poor, it doesn't matter if they smell good or not. It doesn't matter to God because God loves them. God loved you when you was that way too. And, and God sent somebody to minister to you right where you were. And God has called us to love those people the same way, hasn't he? So we've been given this charge to love God, to love God with all that we have, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbors likewise. Well, this is one of the, the sad realities is a lot of times our neighbors aren't very nice. How many of you have ever... Now, I'm not talking about your physical neighbors. I'm talking about people that you're around, maybe a family member, maybe someone that you once cared for has been to you as an enemy, 
How many of you have been around someone who's treated you wrong? Someone who's done you wrong? Someone who's let you down? Someone you put confidence in that you probably shouldn't have because they hurt you time after time after time. And then sometimes or one time you finally realized, wait, they're doing this on purpose. Amen. Well, it's interesting. The Lord tells us what to do with them. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. I'll show you what the Lord says to do. It's not to hog time. It's not to put their picture on Facebook and blast them. It's not to covertly talk about them on Facebook. I'm not going to name names, but the lady in that one certain. It's not to get even. God never called you to get even. In fact, God said vengeance belongs to him. When you begin to get even with somebody, you're taking what belongs to God. But they hurt me. But God's your defender, not you. God is the one who takes up the cause of his children, not you. God is the one who vengeance belongs to, not us. Not us. Look what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, beginning. Let's begin with verse number 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. In other words, when they seek to do you harm, don't let it harden your heart. Don't let it harden your heart. Don't let it harden your heart. When somebody lets you down, when somebody hurts you, when somebody comes against you, don't let it harden your heart. How do you not let it harden your heart? By continuing to love them and pray for them. That's how. How do you pray for them? Pray that God delivers them. Pray that God changes them. Pray that God ministers to them. Those people need deliverance and salvation big time. And, it, and we should, in turn, be praying for these very people. These very people. One of the things that we often do is, you know, sometimes we feel bad and we're like, well, you know, I just got to keep being around them. No, God never said you got to be around them all the time. He said, love them, pray for them. Sometimes some of the best things you can do is get away from people that hurt you. But you never stop praying for them. You never stop praying for them. Sometimes you've got to give what's called tough love. Sometimes you've got to do things out of the box, out of, you know, you've got to do things that are necessary to get their attention. But you pray for them and you love them. Amen? You never turn your back on them. And always remember, it's vengeance belongs to God, not us, right? God is the one who sorts it out. But we're, one, of the, one of the most important things to remember, though, is whenever somebody sets out to hurt you, it can harden you. Because when offense comes, when offense comes, if you're not walking in the spirit, you'll receive it. And one of the things, the reason why I wanted to get into this tonight is I want to talk about dissimulation. Dissimulation. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter number 12. 
Now, this word dissimulation only occurs twice in the Bible, both of them in the New Testament, both of them from the hand of Paul uh, through the Holy Spirit. Now, going down to verse number 9, we're going to be in Romans 12, verse 9. The word says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is evil good dissimulation that god's calling us to be to love without dissimulation means a, a pure love let your love be without preconditions let your love be from god not from man you see man's love is completely dissimulation Man's love is completely dissimulation. You might want to say, well, what does dissimulation mean? Well, we're going to get there. Don't worry. But one, one thing I want you to see, though, before we go into it is this, that God's love is pure and man's love is conditional. It's conditioned based. Man's love is, I did this for you. Why didn't you do that for me? God's love is not demanding it's persuasive. God's love will compel you to him. God's love through you will compel others to God. But when we place conditions and we try to force people to do things, that's not God's love. That is love with dissimulation. That is loving one way one person and another person a different way. You see, in the church, in the church, we have a lot of problems in, in a lot of churches with, uh, I thank God that our church doesn't, but we, in some, a lot of churches, there's a lot of problems with things like racial tension. A lot of churches have issues and struggles in those areas. Some churches have issues with people that, you know, the rich crowd versus the poor crowd. Some people, it's the, the you know, the black versus the Hispanic or the white versus the polka dot or whatever. But we need to see that God has called us to love without changing it, de depending on who it is. God's love requires us to love without dissimulation. It means that we are to love no matter who they are or where they're from or what they've done to us. That's what God's love does. Now, this dissimulation, we see the only other example of it in Galatians chapter 2. Now, it, over in Galatians chapter 2, which we're going to get to, you see um, the, the error of this uh, Judaizers coming into the church. The Judaizers come into the church, and they act as if they're higher than the Gentile believers. They act, that, they act as if they've got a, a handle on God that others don't, that they've got the quicker way to God, and you've got the slower way to God. This is the, much the same way in some churches. Where you, you see um, in, in different things where people pop up, you see uh, certain families elevated in certain churches. Or you might see it in, you know, oh, that's the people that give all the time. Or that's, you know, that color of skin or whatever. People elevate other people for whatever reason it may be. Well, these Judaizers, they came into the church in Galatians. Well, it basically is Acts chapter 15, but Galatians is, is telling you the, the rest of the story. It, but in Galatians chapter 2, you see, you see these Judaizers coming into the church, 
and they're elevating themselves as if they've got a leg up on the Gentile believers simply because of their nationality. And you might say, well, that's crazy. People don't believe like that anymore. Have you watched the news? Have you not watched the news lately? Because the, this is the, the racial division is blowing up in our country. The, the enemy is, is really using division to tear the fabric of our nation apart. And it is the church, it is the church's responsibility to display to the world God's love to display to the world that God's love is not dissimulate. It is the same regardless of who you are or where you're from, what you look like, what you smell like, how much money you have, how much money you don't have, how light your skin is, how dark your skin is, whether you can talk in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, or Timbuktu. That God loves you the same regardless of who you are. He loves the whosoever's. And that is what the church is to model in our hour. In, in this hour, we should be modeling this kind of love that is irregardless of who someone is or what they can do for you. And you see this shown, like I said, in, in Galatians 2, where these, these Judaizers came in and they said, well, you know, we're Jews. And Jesus was a Jew, so we're higher than you. And you see, these are these struggles that the early church was working out. They were trying to figure out, well, are they or are they not? And they actually had the first church council over this in Acts 15. But you see this even today. There's uh, groups that are called like the, the Hebrew Israelites and, and all kinds of crazy things or Hebrew roots, just all kinds of stuff out there. Why? Because it's in the air it's in the air. Division is in the air right now. We're in that era where the Antichrist, his spirit is at work. And in order, in order for him to bring unity, he's got to first bring chaos. In order for him to bring unity, he's first bringing chaos. He's sowing discord among nations, among nationalities, among tribes, among religions. He's just sowing discord and division abounding. And once he finally has everybody at odds where there's wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, once you see all of that take place, then you're going to see someone come and say, hey, I've got a plan to bring us all together as one. That tower of Babel spirit is still at work today, and it'll be at work in the Antichrist life. It's coming. Well, in our hour, we need to look at these souls because there are people out there who either A, think they're better than others, or B, think others are better than themselves, or C, are allowing the wind and the waves of this division and chaos to separate themselves from other brothers in Christ. The church should be leading the charge. The church should be leading this charge of unity among brethren. We should be leading the charge that it's not based on where you're from or who you are. It's not based on the color of your skin or the way that you talk or walk, but it's based on whether you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, one of the things, let me just show you this in, in Galatians chapter 2 since I've kind of talked about it a little bit. 
Galatians 2, you have this big, um, this big escalation between Paul and Peter. Now, Paul was an apostle, the last, the one to the Gentiles, to the church. And we're going we're gonna to begin in verse number 11. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now, you got two apostles in an argument. You got two apostles. Hey, you know what? That should tell you right there that when something's right, when something's true, stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. Amen? Sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, we don't need to have any kind of issue in the church. No, I mean, sometimes we got to sort issues out. Sometimes we need to just lay everything on the table and say, okay, well, what's of God and what's not? Amen. Amen. Well, watch this. So he says in verse number 12, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So what was he doing? He was acting one way with the Gentiles and another way with the Jews. Do you know that there are people in the church world today that will act one way in one crowd and another way in a different crowd? That's the very thing that Paul contended with Peter about. He said, you are living like the Gentiles on, on Monday, but come Tuesday when the Jews come, oh, you can't eat with the Gentiles no more. You're too good for the Gentiles now. And so he contended with him right there, right on the spot. Now pick it up in verse number 13. He says in verse number 13, and other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. In other words, the other Jews that were there that were living like Gentiles, when they saw Peter get up from the Gentile table because Jews were there and he's too good for that now, they began to get carried away with the same dissimulation. So what is dissimulation? It's hypocrisy. That's right. It's hypocrisy. It's treating one person one way and another person another way. When God has called us to treat everyone the same. God has called us to love people the same. God has called us to give people the same kind of love, to not only pray for those that we care about, to pray for those that we don't necessarily care about, to pray for those that, that love us back and to pray for those that don't love us back. God has called us to care, to love, and, and to be a good brother or sister in Christ regardless of who they are or what they can do for us. This dissimulation that Peter began to get carried away with, it revealed a hypocrisy or a hypocritical spirit in his walk. And one of the things that, that, we'll, that we need to contend against today are people who treat one class of Christians one way and another a different way. Now, one of the things that I want to guard against is because you can go to the whole other spectrum because uh, one, of the, one of the infiltrators into the church right now is what's called the social justice gospel. It's based off of what's called the critical race theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not, but the, the social justice gospel 
is basically that, um, you know, you've got to um, tailor your church to certain races because in the past you've always tailored them to this race. Now you've got to switch and tailor it to that race. You see, it, take, it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. When God never called us to tailor anything to any race. God is no respecter. Listen, God is no respecter of persons. He prefers no race or nationality above the other. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither barbarian or Scythian. We are all one in Christ. We should allow no dissimulation in the church. We should be displaying to the world how God can bring people together regardless of who they are or where they're from or what they can provide. Because God never did that for us. You see, God welcomed you into his kingdom not based on where you're from. God welcomed you into the kingdom of God not based on the color of your skin or the money in your wallet. God welcomed you into the kingdom of God for one reason and one reason alone, because you came to the end of yourself and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that he's coming back for the saints one day. Once we did that, it was not based on anything about us, but on everything about him. You see, the gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about us. Amen. The only part of the gospel that's about us is that God did it for us. Amen. But he did everything. It's just like whenever God created the world, whenever he instituted the Sabbath, he rested. He said, you need to realize I did it all. And that's the same way the gospel is. The gospel is nothing on our end. It's that God did it all. The only thing we're called to do is believe it. Trust the gospel. Receive it. Amen. It's an amazing thing, but it is not based on any worldly thing. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Let me show you something over here. John chapter number 1. And we'll go down to verse number 10. He's talking about Jesus here. He says he was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The prerequisite is to believe. That's it. To believe. And look at this. Look at this clarifier. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see that? When somebody gets saved, it's not because of whatever nationality they're from. It's not because of their blood type. It's not because of their tongue type. It's not because of their hairdo. It's not because of the size of their wallet. It's not because of what nation they're from. It's only through God. It's not through what family you're born into. It's not through any 
worldly kind of fleshly means. It's simply through a work that God does on the heart. That's the only way anybody gets saved. It's available to the whosoever. God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. That the Gentiles that believe? No. That the barbarians that believe? No. That the Greeks that believe? No. That the Americans that believe? No. That the polka-dotted folks that believe? No. That whosoever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that he loves whosoever? Aren't you glad the gospel's for whosoever? The gospel is not set apart for a certain class of citizens. It's not set apart for anybody that can provide something for God. It's set for those that are broken, for the whosoever. See, one of the things that you got to realize is whosoever means exactly that, whosoever. If anybody ever defines whosoever other than whosoever, you've got a problem on your hands. I, I, I love uh, Adrian Rogers. One time I heard him say that. He, he, they, they asked him, well, what does whosoever mean? He said, oh, yeah, in the Greek it means whosoever. <laughs> all means all, no means no, and whosoever means whosoever. God's love is available for all of us, and God has called us to love without dissimulation that means god has called us to love without hypocrisy don't love one class of citizen above another don't love somebody based on what they can do for you don't love somebody based on what they've done for you don't love somebody based on what they can give you back the lord even the lord even went out of his way to to proclaim that don't just do for somebody that can do for you don't just love somebody that loves you he said, you know, even the heathen do that. They love those that love them. If somebody claps for you, you're going to love them, aren't you? But it's when they don't clap for you. Will you still be as God's representative? Will you still share God's love and display it? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And if we're not allowing the love of God to manifest in our lives and be on display for others, that means we're not walking in the Spirit. A lot of times people say, I don't know why things aren't working in my life. I don't see why this and why that. A lot of times it's because they're not walking in the Spirit. I said if we live in the Spirit, we also got to walk in it. A couple other things I want to get to um, in Go to 1 John chapter 3. Let's go over. We're going to touch two verses in 1 John. So 1 John chapter number 3. I want to show you here that we're called to love. Not only with our mouth, but also back it up. Come on now. How many of you ever been around somebody that says one thing but does something else? That their actions and their words cancel each other out. How many of you been around people that they're, they, they may talk the talk, but they don't actually walk the walk? 
How many of you know some people like that, right? Don't look to your left or right right now. So, um, but one of the things about this, about God's love is God calls us not only to love in words, because you know, I use this example a lot, but you know, with my wife, if I, if I told my wife that I love her 15 times a day, but I hit her five times a day, don't my actions cancel out my words? My words would be like sandpaper on her heart, wouldn't they? They would cancel it out. And so when God calls us to love someone, it's not just with words, but also allow our actions to back our words up. Amen? Now, when you're talking about the downtrodden, God has always called us to love the downtrodden. The widow and the orphan, love, that's pure religion according to James. And God is always broken for the downtrodden and, and the outcast. God's heart is always for those that are hurting. You see, the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. He does. And when those of us, when we've run through life and we come out the other side brokenhearted, you can rest assured God draws near to you. God draws near to you. God will, God will draw near to you when you're brokenhearted. I love the fact that he quenches not, you know, that, that reed, that flaxing reed. It's a beautiful passage. One of the things I want you to see, though, is that God's love is supposed to be both in action and in word. Look at verse number 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the whosoever that's a believer. But whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, you know what? Your words will be worthless if you don't back it up. James hit on the same issue in, in chapters 2, 3, and 4 of his, of his epistle. James hit on the same issue. What good does it do to tell us, go be warm when they don't have a jacket, but we got one? What good does it when we've got a pot of soup going and they're hungry and we say, go away full? but we don't give them a bowl of soup. What good does that, what good did our words do when we have the ability to meet the need ourselves? You see, God calls us to love one another, to pray for one another. Not fight against one another. Pray for one another. Build one another up. Encourage one another. Have compassion on one another. Regardless of what they can do for you. See, so many of us, we sit and we think, well, when is somebody going to call me? When is somebody going to write me a letter? When is somebody going to check on me? Well, when did you check on them? When did you call them? When did you begin to, to display what you desire? When did you begin to walk in the Spirit and love them? When did you, Well, I'm not going to call them. I'm waiting on them to call me. 
I will love them after they break the ice and love me first. God never told you to love somebody that loves you first. God called you to bridge the gap. God called you to be the repairer of the breach. God called you to go and cross generational or racial divides or socioeconomic divides and go be the one that mends broken people and changes lives, not just with word, but also with your actions. How do we love someone with our actions? By checking on their welfare, checking on their well-being, making sure they're all right, praying with them, sitting with them, go eat with them, ask them over for coffee or tea or whatever floats your boat. But one thing is true. God has called us to display his love by the shedding abroad in our hearts from the Holy Ghost to display that same love, to display it. Now, a lot of times, as we teach on things like this, a lot of times people are like, ah, you know, but it's just so hard. It's just so hard. How many of you around? People that are hard to love. Again, don't look to the left or to the right. But there are some folks that are hard to love, and the way that you can do it, because you can, because God's love is in you if you're a child of God. The way that you can do it is by keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's the way you can do it. By realizing what he did for you, you can then respond and do for others because it just becomes an extension of who you are. When you come to the end of your rope, when you come to the end, I can't love them no more. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Don't ask me to do it. Don't talk about it. When you come to the end, go back to the cross. The cross is inexhaustible. The power of the cross will far exceed the understanding of our heart and our minds. We'll never understand what it cost him. We'll never understand the depth of his love. That his love, his love would not be denied. He would go to the cross in humiliation and allow his holy blood to flow that it may cleanse people that despised him. We'll never understand it because we'll never understand how holy he is and how sinful we are on this side of eternity. But once we get on the other side of eternity, we will get a glimpse of how glorious and how holy our God is. And then we will be, as that song says, then sings my soul, how great thou art. We will sing on that day, oh, holy, holy, holy is the lamb. Not by faith, but by sight. We will see the beauty of his holiness on that day and when we come to the end of our ropes when dealing with other people we've got to go back to that place of the cross and touch that inexhaustible beautiful display of God's love go to go to over one more chapter to chapter four let me show you this as we go to this end go to go to verse number seven 1 John 4 and verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, if you want to get a, a deeper understanding of God's love, um, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a beautiful passage, right? Go to those verses in, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, and you see charity. And charity is God's special love for the brethren. That's what it means. Now, let's continue in this verse number 8. It says uh, that God is love. Look at verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. So manifested means revealed. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. You see, it's in that picture of the cross that you see that God loved you. God loved you when you were on the wrong side of the tracks. And God sent Jesus to die for you to become a propitiation that means a way or a means for you to be reconciled to him. God sent Jesus to do that for you, to bring you back to him. And you see, we're called to love people with that same kind of love as believers. And in our hour, the hour that we live in, it is especially true because, as I said earlier, the, the prince of the power of the air is still at work. The spirit of the Antichrist, First John tells us later, that the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world today. And if that spirit was at work back then, it's surely at work today. That spirit of the Antichrist is to do things a different way than God's. It's the Tower of Babel mentality. And we see in Revelation 13, there's going to be a day when that Antichrist comes and he establishes a kingdom here on earth and he unifies every nation against Israel. And when he does that, we know that it's only going to be born out of chaos. It's only going to be born out of chaos. There's, there is a, 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 an effort to divide. There's an effort to destroy. There's an effort to tear down every fiber of the church, every fiber of nations. Every, that's why people are against borders right now. That's why they're against this and against that. It's because there's a destruction and a division that is coming in. And we, as the people of God, should be the ones on the front lines displaying to the world that it is not about where you're from or what you look like or what you can do, but God loves the whosoever, regardless of if you're red, brown, purple, blue, or white. And that's the charge that we've been given and the only way that we can do that is by keeping our eyes on the cross, remembering his love for us knew no bounds. And we should in turn love others without boundaries, or in other words, without dissimulation. We should in turn love without hypocrisy. 
That's the charge to the church. Well, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Father, we thank you for your love for us.